0: We've been friends for almost 25 years, but we never run out of things to talk about.
1: Join us here every week on Coffee Confessions with the Mommy Dash as we chat about real life with no filters. We don't believe in perfection.
0: Kids, work, husbands, laundry. We are ready to talk about it all.
1: It's messy. It's loud. It's motherhood. Let's confess. today's episode is brought to you by our amazing sponsor Quetzal Construction we love this husband and wife team of contractors and home improvement experts Brittany and her husband Rolando will come out to your home assess what you need whether it's a small repair an entire brick patio built, a complete kitchen renovation we could all use one of those Um, she will come in and give you her best advice. He will come in and put his handiwork um, on the job and make the home of your dreams happen. So if you are tired of dealing with, you know, contractors that don't call you back or give you um, prices that just seem insane, um, give them a call today. They can be found on social media at Quetzal, which is go q u e t z a l um at instagram or facebook or you can give them a call anytime at 845-764-2060 if you're in the hudson valley you're looking for honest work people with integrity that are going to give you what you want call them today Today's episode
0: is brought to you by the Center of Youth. If you are looking for more youthful, younger appearance, clear skin, then contact Tara at the Center of Youth. She works right out of her home in a beautiful home office with beautiful views. I highly recommend it. She has lip filler and it's 20% off. A perfect derma peel. Ooh, this looks amazing. The results are insane. Take a look on Instagram at the Center of Youth at the results. Just incredible. $50 off on your tox treatment. How exciting. Yes, definitely give Tara a call. She's out of Pauling. She's serving Duchess and Putnam and she is someone that you want to talk to, just get a really good idea about how you can achieve the results that you want. You can contact her at or schedule an appointment at www.thecenterofyouth.com or message her on Instagram.
1: Good morning, Jen. Good morning, Alicia. So, we are so excited today to have our first podcast guest since we've moved to a podcast That's, platform. Yeah, to you. Um, and it's a topic that a lot of us have been talking about. I know we've listened, we listen to a lot of news and a lot of podcasts, and you hear um, lately, very sadly, in our own community and, and the world, um, the word fentanyl comes up a lot, drug use comes up a lot, and just you know, we follow a lot of mom bloggers that talk about um, how addiction has affected their families. And that's really, you know, we could talk about statistics all we want, but how uh, those situations affect a family personally, mm-hmm. a mom personally, and removing the stigma from um, the topic of drugs and addiction so that we can be proactive and have honest conversations is something that we've had on our list for a while. Long list, top of the list, top of the list. Yeah. Um, so today we're so excited to bring on um a guest, Suzanne DaCassa, and she's here to join us um to tell her story and hopefully get a conversation rolling in all of our homes and in our schools and in our communities at large. So, Suzanne, welcome. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Oh,
0: we're so glad to have you. Um, we just want to know a little bit about who you are, your background just so the listeners really get an idea of where you're coming from. And would love to learn more about you, especially because you're so graciously decided to come on our podcast.
2: <laughs> well, thanks for having me. Um, my, um, I am a 25 year resident of East Fishkill. I have been a realtor within Dutchess County, um, For 20, 20 of those years, I was a stay at home mom for 15 years. And when my youngest, who's now 25, got, went into kindergarten, I got my real estate license and worked with success for the past 20 years locally here, um, helping people, you know, make, move to the next chapter, something I love, love what I do. I am a wife uh, to my husband of 37 years, someone I've considered my best friend since high school, and um, I'm a mom of four children, um, the oldest of which is 34, 35, and the youngest of which is 25, and one of which uh, struggled with addiction, my son Michael
1: yeah thank you um so just so everyone knows Suzanne does live in our our community, community here in the Hudson Valley um and I had the pleasure of teaching one of her her kiddos um yeah. is that your third she your third
2: Sam's the youngest she's was the oh fourth. she is the youngest yes. okay oh, that's right.
1: we just talked about she was yeah, yeah. um who is just you know we could just say firsthand I remember your family is very involved in softball right yes Yes, I remember my sister's book page as well. Um, You know, very involved in the community and just a well-respected family. So we're so, we are just honored that you joined us here today. Um, So you mentioned, you know, you the mom of four kids and your son, Michael, struggled um, with addiction. Would you like to tell us, you know, a little bit more about that? I don't want to, I want you to speak freely, you know, I don't want to
2: it's sure. your story so no sure absolutely so michael began experimenting with drugs and alcohol when he was in his teens in high school the high school years is when we became aware of it um, we naively thought it would be a teenage rite of passage we you know we did not think that he would cross the invisible line um we we felt we we knew that we had done a good job raising him we had had discussions we thought we had had clear open discussions about the dangers of drug use um it, of course hindsight is 50/50 and i don't think that we had clear conversations i think we um we touched on it you know we um I, it it was interesting to me a few years ago i was cleaning out a toy closet in the basement and i came across the book that the kids used in fifth grade say no to drugs and i chuckled as i read through it because it's such a um it was such a Such a hard line in the sand book, such a say no to drugs, not ever a discussion about um, the beginning. It showed people in their worst addictive stages. It showed the fried egg in the pan. It didn't talk about the real life experiences that the kids have in today's world or in, in his world growing up. And, you know, um, he began, as I said, he began using drugs and alcohol in his teens. Um, Sadly, we thought it was a rite of passage, uh, that it was something he would grow out of. And what I didn't know is that he began using prescription pain pills during high school and that his recreational use was quickly escalating into addiction. And, um, you know, by the time you realize what you're in, is the point at which it's just not easy to say no to drugs. Um, why they start and why they can't stop are two completely different things.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, once, and again, I'm not a doctor or scientist, but it's your body. It's not a choice at that point. I would assume, you know, why you start is a choice. You're at a party, you're whatever right. the, the pressures are to, mm-hmm. to make that choice. But then once you begin, especially with painkillers or opioids, then your body
2: takes over. You can't say today, I'm not going to do that, correct? Correct. You know, it's, it is it um, is through the years as I've watched um, the conversation around drugs change, thankfully, the treatment around addiction change, thankfully. Um, there is, it's addiction is still a topic that most everyone has experience with, but no one likes to talk about. Um, insurances don't cover it the same way. It's treated as a decision, a moral decision, instead of a physical disease. It is treated as a um, lacking of willpower as opposed to a literally your brain is diseased. And that's all they can think about. That's all they know that there is nothing standing away in the way of them getting those drugs. The <clears throat> I once um, had a chat with someone who talked, who was um, recovering, had just finished treatment for breast cancer, and as she walked out the doors to the of the hospital, there was a big banner that said, "Let us know what we can do for you, how we can support you." There's a clear plan of action in place. Excuse me, my voice is shaking because I'm nervous. Um, there's a there's a clear plan of action in place of follow up treatment of. Um, places that they can go for support, systems in place that guide them through the process. When you leave addiction treatment or when even while, while you're in addiction treatment, sadly, insurance dictates typically a 28-day program, which is not nearly long enough to rewire the brain or to, um, to even get you into the right mind frame. 90 days is the absolute minimum that someone should be in treatment. And there should be a clear follow-up plan afterwards. And when they are discharged from um, treatment, it is typically out into the wild with here's a list of local AA or NA meetings. And no follow-up, no, no, you know, no required appointments as you would with a cancer of some sort. And the brain is what is diseased your brain is what you need to function. It's what you need to make choices. And your brain is your worst enemy in addiction because it will, it will, it changes. It steals their words, it steals their thoughts and it just changes everything about the way they do things.
0: Like rules their world and how they respond to everyday
1: life. Correct. Yes. It is um, just selfishly this topic I want to know as much as I can because it's so frightening as a mom to hear. So frightening. You know, it's like you said, it's not like, you know, in, you see the pictures of a drug addict on the street, you know, or, you know, it's not that, especially growing up in the eighties, but like, just say no. And yeah. all those, you know, this is your brain on drugs that those images were like, those drugs are over there and over here in nice, normal,
0: mm-hmm. um, yeah. fish
1: kill and suburbia, those things don't happen. Well, we know it does
0: now. We, I mean, and it, there's, I live in LaGrangeville. Yeah. Anyone who follows the local news yeah. knows that it really is in my backyard. Yeah. So yeah, you know very that much so. you mentioned a clear conversation. You don't think you had a clear conversation? What would that look like? Like what it because I, I feel like you are so well versed. I'm I'm like, she must have had a clear conversation. What does that look like or sound like? Well, so addiction,
2: you, you know, addiction runs in our family. Um, it was not something the children were ever exposed to. Um, all of our family members who had struggled with at the time it's alcoholism years ago because drug use just wasn't nearly as prevalent as it is today. Um, the but they were all people in recovery. My um, my father in law was 30 years in recovery. My my grandfather died an alcoholic, but um, my children never met him. The my brothers both my brothers struggled with alcoholism, but we're both. In recovery, so the kids were never exposed to addiction in its full blown form. But I mean, I know, I know with one hundred percent certainty that it has a genetic predisposition, and Mm -hmm. I, I, you know, we we do a really good job as parents of. Kind of just saying blank, like, I remember bringing Sam to a party when she was 16 and having or 17, one of the high school years, and having a conversation about what was what was how the night would play out. And she turned to me and she said, Mom, I'm not Michael. And I said, Sam, Michael wasn't Michael when he was 16 either. Michael was just like you. He was a regular kid. He was happy. He was funny. He was popular. He was athletic he loved being rebellious. He loved um, he loved finding adventure. So um, I think that, you know, I recognized with her drawing a line in the sand of saying, just don't do it, just say no, is so ridiculous. It's so ridiculous. They're going to be exposed to it. They're going to be introduced to it in awkward, uncomfortable com- conversations and experiences. And I think that us saying that drugs are bad, alcohol's bad for you, it'll it'll ruin your life is unrealistic because the first time they try that drug or that drink, it's not bad. In fact, it'll open up a door for them most often, in which, oh, they're no longer self-conscious. They feel free and easy to talk. Like, wait, they lied to us. It's not bad. This is good for me. This makes me feel good. This makes me feel powerful. This makes me feel social. So when I say open and honest, I think like today, I, like in a would have, should have world, I would have had more um, experience conversations. I would have been honest about, you said, grow up in the 80s. We tried drugs and alcohol, like not, none of the hard stuff, but we tried. Of course we did that. We mm-hmm. didn't, you know, I think we are so afraid to share with them things that you did or things that ran in your family for fear that introducing the possibility of it then leads itself towards them having an answer to it. And in today's world, I don't think that that's the case. I think that it's important to have introduced it, to talk about everyone in the family that struggles with mental illness and addiction and what they did to combat it and what they did. And and if they're still active, how it's impacting their lives now, not with judgment, with love you know this is not he's not a bad person he's a person struggling with this problem and when you when you put the person in front of the problem it's a whole lot easier to have empathy and compassion and and to and to have then also have had the conversation because i think so often in hindsight you think about how you have these expectations of them you have these they know right from wrong You expect them to make the right choice. You'll be embarrassed if they they do this out in the public. Um, What are people going to think? I think followed up by is, but listen, you're going to make bad choices. You're going to make choices that you probably wish you wouldn't have, whether it's because of peer pressure or because you just want to be adventurous or whatever the reason might be. When that bad choice happens, you come to me and I'll help you fix it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because that's, that's what I think is, was lacking then was his inability to come to us to say, I have a problem and I don't know what to do.
0: Was it because he thought he'd let you down? Yes. Yes. Because he probably was part of him as a people pleaser. He sounds like a, yeah,
2: he was embarrassed, you know, he was embarrassed. He had got, let himself get out of control and, uh, you know i don't and also i don't think there were answers i think thankfully the conversation around it at the time i mean this was back in 2008 2009 when he first started and um i can remember bringing him to our a general practitioner and at the time you asked questions and he really didn't know he didn't know the answers, and I didn't know the answers. Um, I started to seek out people who had traveled the road before me. I, CAPE is an organization associated with Wappinger Central School District, and a- Elaine Tramp- Trampetto was a very valuable resource for me in learning about, you. yeah, she was a great I leader. <clears throat> He, the doctors didn't even know. He recommended that we go to Arms Acres at the time, which back then was, I mean, he was 19 years old. And these were, they were not, it, it was not a prevalent young person's disease at the time. I think today there's much more support and um, education around the young adult um, mm-hmm. person struggling with addiction.
1: <clears throat> and I'm glad you mentioned CAPE, um, which is you know, the Council for Addiction. Wait, council. On and prevention, I'm
2: education. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: And you know they are just in in the Hudson Valley, an yeah. amazing organization. And you mentioned um Elaine Trompeto, who very sadly passed. I oh, could have cried. Oh, a few years ago. She she was just I I had the pleasure of teaching her her kids, although, but she um brought addiction down to a level of. She would bring students from Daytop. I don't know if Daytop is still it it was is, a yeah. residential yeah. Yes. treatment mm-hmm. for for kids struggling with addiction, but she would bring um the students there into the middle school and they would just tell their stories. And these were like 16, 17-year-old kids or even younger mm-hmm. sometimes, and we'd be talking to our junior high mm-hmm. kids. And it was the most impactful way. I think like we're speaking to you, just speaking to somebody that has been through it. It's not the police officer telling you not to do drugs, the teacher telling you not to do drugs. And, you know, and I worry on my own end, yeah. you know, my husband's a retired police officer, I'm a teacher. So we do, you know, have a very like, you know, I, I've i I've lost too many students to addiction yes. over the years and you hear, and I feel like my kids sometimes don't get it because they'll say, well, that's someone daddy arrested. Like that, that's just a bad guy. Like they don't oh. see that, no, that's, you know a kid who's not in that same classroom mm-hmm. as you were. It is bringing it, we need more of that, removing that stigma and bringing it down to a very personal level.
0: And so. and you mentioned addiction runs in your family, it runs in mine too. So I was thinking mm-hmm. that in my head, but I'm like, I don't want to bring that up because is it scientifically proven whatever. And my, my question is, is, is there something you can do to prevent that addiction from, hap- I mean, I don't know, I don't know, if like you're saying, we probably don't even know enough, but gosh, this is something we really should figure out. Most
2: everyone that I have met and spoken with, uh, people that are uh, successful in recovery, talk very strongly about um, kind of the, and Michael had dabbled in it, on it as well, when one time um, someone who was doing a some sort of college thesis documentary had interviewed him in that, um, and part of what makes addiction so confusing is that there's no, there's no one answer, right? Each person has their own path. And for you to say that addiction runs in our family and there's a genetic predisposition, just like if if you have breast cancer in your family, you are starting early and often with your your, your um detection of it and your appointments and your follow-up, right? But it's a clear-cut answer. there's a there is a test, and there's a um, there's an exam that can pinpoint and show you that you have the disease, and this is the answer to that, and this is the treatment, and you follow it, and your brain is scared to death because you don't want to die. and so you do everything and anything they say. As addiction begins to take hold, The brain that you need to recover and to listen to direction is the thing that is being manipulated and strongholded. And the people that I speak with in long-term recovery that talk about the initial stages of their use, talk about it as the answer, the answer to their insecurity, to their awkwardness, to their shyness, and to the just like, damn, that's it, right? So what you can look at someone... The, the gray areas are as kids are in high school. You can't look at them and say, just because you're in trouble now, your life is on a path for destruction. Just because you're getting in trouble with alcohol and marijuana now, it doesn't mean that you're not going to turn it around. So there's no, sometimes they are those kids who grow out of it, who don't cross the invisible line, even though they're in so much trouble in their young adult years. So it's so hard to say that they're, if, oh, just because you had it, It doesn't mean that you are going to just because you have it in your bloodline, it doesn't mean that it's going to in turn then be you. And just because you dabble in drinking alcohol or smoking pot doesn't mean it's going to turn into addiction. It's it's sneaky, it's deceptive and it sneaks up on you. And then when once you're there, that's when when you want to stop, when you can stop, you won't want to when you want to stop, you won't be able to. So it's too late. So it really is just the open conversation about this is this is what you're going to be exposed to. You may or may not try it. I have four kids, one of which has never drank, never tried anything. She just won't touch it. And it's not because of what happened with Michael, she just never has. Yeah. The other of uh, the others of which certainly experiment with whatever they experiment with, but they know, they never cross the line. It's the day-to-day responsibilities that that stay intact, right? We've all enjoy a glass of wine. You wake up the next morning, you go to work, you sustain your day-to-day living. you sustain your day-to-day activities. The people that are susceptible and struggle with addiction quickly become it quickly becomes apparent that school grades start to fall away. Sports interest starts to fall away. Friends change trouble unexplained trouble starts to happen as a parent you love your children you always will see them as the baby and the small child that you raised this you the you learn the difference between helping and enabling when you have a child struggling with addiction there's an author called sandy swenson she wrote a book called the joey song it's a song about her it's a story about her son's addiction and she says She speaks of the place where love and addiction meet, a place where hope hurts and help hurts and hope, it's, it's destroying, it's scary, it's exhausting, but this is your child. And they're a child that is on the verge of going off a cliff. And tough love tells you that you're supposed to watch them walk off that cliff and suffer their own consequences. It's impossible to do, especially with young teenage children, right? And it it doesn't change when they're adults, 25, 26 years old. And we were always we, we were faced with these letting him, we walk what we called the fine line of living with Michael, because if you helped him one more time and we got it right, you did a good job. If you helped him one more time and he relapsed again, you were enabling him and you should have let him suffer his own consequences. Um, So there's no clear cut answers at all. Um, There's no rhyme or reason to it. There's no ability, I don't think, to be able to say he's going to have it or she's going to have it. I think there are signs, there are red flags that that you watch for as as a, a young parent. And I think, um, sadly, when you, when you start to see those signs, it's also a domino effect of not parenting with fear from those signs, right? Because I think the worst place you can parent from is fear mm-hmm. or, or again, kind of going back to having the discussion of what runs in your family or placing that, that burden of, um, like this is me on them, right? Which is, I don't know what the answer is to that. I don't know.
1: What would you say is some of those signs, like for a parent, what are like the top couple things that they should look out for? If they have a suspicion or, you know, they feel like their child is, because there are kids who I think are more, like you said, a risk taker, someone who's, you know, a very social or, you know, could there probably are kids who are typecast, although it's not, uh, it's, it can happen to anybody, but I think they're, I don't know. And I could be speaking out of line. And like, when did you know,
0: because you seem to have known, right. You did know when, when the signs and then when did you first know like, okay, this is more than just experimenting.
2: Mm -hmm. So um, the, well, first of all, I think signs um, as, as, um, as things progressed early on were included things like, like I said, like getting in trouble kind of unknowingly, like he always was finding trouble. He was losing things. Um, His iPod was lost. His, he let his friend borrow his snowboard, which never came back. Um, His dirt bike was left at a friend's house and then it was stolen. Mm -hmm. So these are all ways that they're getting money to buy Mm -hmm. prescription pain medication and um he never he never stole from us although he did my daughter's ipod went missing and she still to this day holds that against him that she knows he stole it and he never admitted it <laughs> but you know things like that um car unexplained car accidents like which you always right away they're young teenagers like they're you know, And they're very, very good at manipulating you. They're very good at playing the role of victim when it comes to these things. And you want to believe them. You want to believe that they just need to get out of high school, get into the college of their choice, make the team, get the job, find the right girl, find the right boy, all these things that we think are going to propel them into the next level, when all the while the work is on the inside that they need to do. Um, I, there's a term that says addiction is the only prison where the key is on the inside. There's no amount of money that we can spend and no amount of work that we can do once they're there that can turn the page for them. They are the only ones that can do the work. That and is what was so this? powerful. What is the second part of that question? I forgot what you said. Um,
0: and when did you, do, do, really realize, did I'm thinking like, are you searching his work? Yeah. Cause I'm like search, I'm going to search the back. I'm going to search everything. I'm Sur- do- i
2: search everything all the time. That's the other thing. They're really good at hiding this stuff. They're right. so good at hiding this stuff. Right. So search. And, and it becomes search, search away, search through their phone, search the their car, and their car, everything. Um, The thing is, is what do you do when you find it, right? So what do you do when you find it is, and in hindsight, what I did was I yelled and I screamed and I punished, I thought I would punish it out of him. You know, Um, we tried, we tried loving him, supporting him. We tried alienating him. We made him leave the house at a young age because it was not going to be in my house. Didn't matter. He just kept going back to the drugs at that point. We became aware that it was a real problem um, the summer after he graduated from high school and he overdosed in a rest stop um, on the Garden State Parkway in New Jersey. And I thought he was at a party locally. I mean, he's 19 years old. I, he was staying over a friend's house, never really gave it much thought. It was someone I knew, certainly wasn't calling the parent to make sure they were there at that point. And I got a call in the middle of the night from a state trooper who said that they had him in jail. You know, I did what I'm supposed to do. I let him sit the weekend in jail. I didn't go down and rescue him. Um, and when I picked him up on that Monday morning and brought him home, um, and we sat on the front porch, and, <laughs> and I'll cry. Yeah. Tears streaming down his face. He was wondering aloud, what was he going to do? And how was he going to fix this? And I naively thought, we got this. We'll send you to rehab. I had no idea or understanding of the beast we'd had just encountered, but I think Michael did. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think he knew at that point, but didn't have the courage to tell me because he didn't want to let me down. And so a continuous, a continuous conversation of, I don't care what you do wrong and I don't care how far, how far gone it is. You tell me and I will find the way for you to fix it. I will help you fix it. No matter how far gone you think you are, no matter how bad or how many bad decisions you've made, we'll help you fix it. And we sent him to rehab. And um, which again was uh, at that point, it was, a. I think he was there for two and a half weeks and then he was Nothing. discharged. Nothing. He was discharged. Ha- discharged to a, he was 19 years old to a recommendation to go to the local AA meetings. And, you know, at the time, um, okay, that was, he. I brought him there. Um, he went there. It was all old school alcoholics, old older gentlemen who thought drugs were, they. Uh, this was, at this point, what is this, 15, 16 years ago? You know, he was a different breed. I didn't want to bring him to N.A., Because I was told at that time that that was not the place for him, because that was a bunch of people that were mandated and people that were that would only find him more trouble. And I remember the time that one of the counselors um, who I had connected with at at Arms Acres and who was very good at what, you know, you, you can tell, you know, your teachers, you know, when you get a teacher, that's really good. You know, when you get someone who's like, all right, this isn't going to make a difference. This lady was making a difference. And I sought lots of advice from her. And um, I would, uh, thankfully, she allowed me to call her. And um, I remember the first time that she said to me, um, she used the word addict, which I'm not a fan of. I prefer a person struggling with addiction, Um, but she used addict behavior behaviors. And again, I was so naive. I, I immediately was insulted. Like, he's not an addict. He just, you know, we just got to get through this, but they were exactly that addict behaviors that he was doing. It's, you know,
1: and I think that nobody wants to hear that about their child. You don't want to hear, just like, you don't want to hear anything except that your child is perfect. And because we know as moms, you, it's your, like you said earlier, it's your baby. That's the, you know, you're always going to see that little boy or that little girl that, you know, Mm -hmm. was perfect. Right. Um, And I like how you said a person struggling with addiction um, instead of, because that's not, they're not, 100% an addict that's not who's you say that when people have autism i try to say a person with autism not an autistic person i remember hearing someone say that once because yeah. that doesn't define you being an addict isn't define michael mm-hmm. and and i we could talk to you for hours and hours yeah. and is there anything you would like to close with like how you would like you know if you could impart your words of wisdom after struggling as the you know as a family as a mom with with addiction and, you know, Michael did lose his, I don't know if that's the best way to say it, lose his battle with addiction or succumb to addiction um, Mm -hmm. in 2019. so it's not a battle that ever ends. I mean, you're still, you know, struggling on the other side of that, but using your struggle to educate others, which we're so thankful. And for. then it went on. This went on for ten years. I think ten years. Ten years
2: after ten years, Michael lost his battle with addiction. That is exactly what I say. Um, he did overdose after a um, a period of recovery that lasted almost two years. A period in which um, he met with great success. Um, I will, uh, one of the things that I say is um, not only um, in in recovery, um, he impacted many people, he um, learned a trade, he bought a truck, he traveled, he um, reconnected with family, he um, reconnected with his sisters, we had family vacations that we had not had in many years, um, that we really, really enjoyed each other and we we saw the michael that could have been without the weight of addiction laying on his shoulders um he um a, a relapse happens well be- it doesn't happen physically it happens mentally first and again part of the confusion of addiction is that when it first starts to happen um you 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 kind of know it's happening but they're, they're already here. and so you, you it's hard to have those conversations. And I once again um, figured out that he was beginning to use, um, pleased pleaded with him to to get back into he had kind of stepped off of his his treatment program and his he had connected with um, a very strong recovery group here at um, Hopewell Reform Church, um, the Hopewell AA group. It's an amazing group of people that became his family. And he had stepped away, and um, the pattern started to reappear. And um, each relapse, unfortunately, gets worse. And he he was psychotic. The last year of his life was one it, that was ugly, ugly. And um, he did yes he did lose his battle. Um, he overdosed on August twenty fifth of two thousand and nineteen, and. You know, the addiction is gone for us, but the battle is not because we we worked really, really hard during those 10 years to not let it destroy our family because it can. It wreaks havoc on your family. It ruins lives. And we made a decision early on, my husband and I, that we were a a partnership. We were a team and we were not going to go against each other. And we We walked the fine line for 10 years between helping and enabling, um, between supporting and alienating. We'd let him back in when he was in recovery. We'd guide him on the path and help him get started again. We'd make him leave when he started to use again, um, making him homeless at times. He lived out of his car for three months. Um, But we felt that we were doing the right thing right and if it had worked out then we would have been doing the right thing of course now in hindsight i wish that i would have understand understood better that he was really sick he wasn't bad right i still thought he was being bad i still thought i was going to punish it out of him he was sick he was really really sick and i know that now i didn't know it then um the um the as i said that with the battle being gone the addiction being gone, but the battle not not being gone, because as hard as I worked during the years that Michael was struggling with his addiction, I work that hard now to not let it ruin the rest of what life has for us. I I now speak at treatment centers. Um, to, and I speak from the perspective of those waiting at home. I don't I don't preach to them to know about addiction. I don't personally struggle with the battle of addiction, but I can speak to them from the person waiting at home for them. Because for 10 years, I was that person waiting at home and hoping that they got well and hoping that they found their way and that we were saving a space for him at home if he did. We didn't get the right ending to our story. I know we didn't. So now the battle becomes learning to live life with the gaping hole in your family and so the to me that well that was easy back then compared to what we're doing now but we you know as we work just as hard to know that michael's no longer struggling and in the 5 years since he's been gone i've learned that he's not gone he's still here he lives on in the memories that we share the, the talks that I do, the memories that we share, he's there with us every step of the way. For as, I think in today today's mind, in my mind, I know that for as long as you remember someone, they're still alive and they're still impactful. And I meet people every day who remember Michael or remember a funny quip about him. And when I share my story at treatment centers, I hear consistently, um, you remind me of my mom, I think that's why it's so impactful. You remind me of my mom. I don't want to do this to my mom. How do I forgive my, how do I get my, ask my mom to forgive me? Like your mom doesn't, you don't need to ask your mom to forgive you. You're doing the work here. And if you, if you don't mind, maybe I'll just read to you things that one of the little part of that, that I read to them. Mm -hmm. Love it. Yeah,
1: we got the tissue. We need tissues. We need a whole box I'm getting, of tissues. I'm getting, you are so, I don't know how you speak and so well without, yeah, go ahead, read that to us. So
2: <laughs> I, I say what the things that I learned in the 10 years that Michael, um, oh actually, hold on, give, just give me one second. I don't know what I did with that. So- You know, again, I say before addiction pummeled our family, Michael was just a regular kid and I was just a regular mom. Um, He was happy and silly. He was really funny. He had a big heart and he gave the best of hugs. He loved the outdoors, trekking through the woods. He was a decent athlete and he disliked school and homework immensely. (laughs) He thrived on adventure, getting dirty and being rebellious. We talked about the story that that brings me here and, and his overdose at the Garden State Parkway. And What I what I thought was an easy journey ahead of us ended up being a 10 year journey of which he became, he was a vacuum that sucked all that was good from our family and we tried it all and nothing worked and we kept watching him go back to the, to the drugs. We learned about treatment centers and 12 step programs, inpatient and outpatient NA and AA. And we spoke up and we spoke out. And we sought advice from people that traveled the world, the, the road before us. We had to learn the difference between helping and enabling, between helping Michael to live and helping him to die. And we learned of the place that my favorite author Sandy Swenson speaks of where love and addiction meet. It's terrifying, exhausting, and confusing. And we learned that no amount of work and no amount of money we could do could fix Michael. During the 10-year struggle, things that I've learned about addiction is that addiction is the only prison where the key is on the inside, and they alone hold the key. They may, You may hurl angry slurs of hurtful words, but I promise you it's because it's so much easier to be angry than it is to be sad. It's easier to pretend you don't care than to give in to hope and only have it stolen away from you. They're le- Your parents are learning the difference between helping and enabling, learning to love you without helping to hurt you. They've learned the meaning of tough love. It's not called tough love because it's mean, it's called tough love because it's really hard to do. And it goes against every natural instinct as a parent and caring for someone you love. In recovery, the smile would return to his face and the light would return to his eyes and his amazing sense of humor would entertain everyone he knew. In recovery, he connected with and impacted many people. He rebuilt relationships, learned to trade, reconnected with family, bought a truck and enjoyed many hobbies. But best of all, those periods of recovery allowed him to look his parents in the eye and himself in the mirror with a sense of pride and dignity. His attempts to recover will always be something I'm extremely proud of and so grateful for. What I learned about addiction during that 10-year struggle, addiction is a disease, not a disgrace. It changes the brain structure and happens when substance use crosses the line between pleasure and compulsion. Why they start and why they can't stop are two different things. It's a medical condition masquerading as a personal choice. It's physical, mental, and spiritual. It's deceptive, and it sneaks up on you. It's progressive. When they can stop, they won't want to. And when they want to stop, they won't be able to. It breaks the hearts of all that love you and it breaks all the rules. It wrecks families and steals lives. It knows no boundaries and anyone is susceptible. Addiction is a chronic long lasting condition that can never be cured, but it can be successfully treated. Left untreated, it's deadly. What I tell them that I pray that they learn while they're there is that sobriety is not a sad consequence, it's a proud choice. That all of the mistakes can now serve as purpose instead of serving as shame. That they can't heal if they keep pretending they're not hurt. That no program is perfect and if they're going to heal, you have to learn to take with you what works and leave the rest behind. That you find the answer to what it is you believe about yourself that is keeping you from your future. That they've stumbled and fallen, but coming there for treatment is the first step to picking themselves back up and moving forward. That they realize that that's a do-over and Michael won't get a do-over and I won't get a do-over. And I'm left behind to wor- wonder about all the would-haves, the should-haves and the should it haves I mean, I go on and on from there. Um it's a it's an engaging 30-minute conversation, one of which I will tell you that most often the person walking in the room, most sullen, unable to make eye contact, head down, not listening, is the first person with tears streaming down their face. They're hurt, they're hurt sick people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That don't know how to correct the problem that they're in. Um, I hope that our conversations, our open conversations, help. I I pray that our you guys, you leading the, the way here, the willingness to talk about it openly and honestly certainly isn't giving you answers, but it re, by removing the stigma, it, it it inevitably will lead to better conversations and better social support and better treatment early early warning signs will lead to an ability to therapy and, and, you know, not, not yelling conversations, not um, what did I put here? Hold on. I'm sorry. I don't, I'm kind of lost in my notes here.
0: You've done such a great job for our listeners and, I mean, just a better understanding of the whole, the struggle
2: and just a better, a better understanding of what addiction is. I, one of the things that I noted here was to draw firm boundaries, but with love, don't punish, educate, yeah. don't rescue, but support, don't dictate, don't yell, pause, think about the action and what's behind it, and then discuss There. Behind every action that that child or that teenager is doing is a need. There's something that they're looking for that they're not getting. So our job as parents is to to help them try to figure out what that is.
1: Mm -hmm. To fulfill their need, yeah. To see what that gap is. Because if you're, I would think if you're 100% happy with your life and everything is, you're not looking for an
2: escape or looking for an outside fulfillment right yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah which isn't that human nature you know i yeah. mean we yeah i think, I think yeah. we are all looking for a little bit of that outside fulfillment right yeah. it is yeah i
1: i think you know the words i keep hearing them in my head now it's addiction is a a disease not a disgrace i feel like that is you yeah, know that's a hundred percent what it is mm-hmm. any and you know we could talk for years about me, the mental health so, problems know, in our yeah. country and yeah. people will you know you're not going to let your kids suffer with a case of strep throat or a broken leg. You're going to bring them to the doctor um, Mm -hmm. and, and fix it. And same thing with any mental health addiction struggle. It's, it's not something you can yell out of them or
2: punish out of them. It's they need help. And when you own it, when you talk about it openly and honestly, there's not really a whole lot. Anyone can say to embarrass you or to, you know, to make you feel uncomfortable with it because I've come to the understanding that everyone, every single person I know struggles with something, right? And if yeah. I am talking about this and they are they are belittling the situation or they are making fun of it, I don't care. I don't care. I remember early on being in a restaurant and someone I knew asking about Michael, and at the time he was in a really bad way and saying that he wasn't doing well right now, that addiction was winning. And my girls were so embarrassed and so mad at me that I said that. And they now have a different point of view. They now know that that was that talking about it is is what helped us get through it. Right. Mm -hmm. Not being embarrassed by it. I didn't I don't care what anyone thinks in that sense. Right. It's it's just part of life, right? Do that just,
0: more. I feel like that yeah. removes the, Remove stigma. the like, stigma. And yeah. we hope we're doing that that today. Yeah. Right. Um, right. Yeah. So well, yeah, we thank you so much. Thank for, you. I mean, this has been
1: yeah amazing. Great. Amazing. It's an amazing conversation. And again, I said before, like as the mom of teenagers, preteens, it's just we want to learn as much as we can because you you just want to arm yourselves and your family with the tools that, you know, mm-hmm. you don't travel down that path of, you know, of no return. It is a path of no return. Even if you live your days into an elderly age of, you know, recovering from addiction, you are always someone struggling with addiction. You're There's the no path. cure.
2: Ever. It's a it's a daily reprieve. Literally, yeah. they are one day at a time for the rest of their lives, yeah. right? Yeah. So
1: thank you so much, Suzanne. This has been just- You're you know,
2: welcome. Thanks for having me. Conversation. Thank you You've been so great. Okay. okay All right, thank you. Bye-bye. Okay.